Would you open your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 30? 30th Psalm. And we're continuing our study as we go through the, the Psalms and selecting individual Psalms. But today I'd like to approach this one a little bit differently so that as we read it, we will read it with perhaps a better understanding of what is unfolding in front of us. Some of the specifics in the Psalm we really don't know. There are some things that we're not sure exactly what the situations were, but there are some things that emerge that are going to be very, very clear as we read through this. And I would suggest to you young people that this psalm will have a lot of meaning for you in the week ahead because of the very nature of what's involved. David was involved in a sin. And it's not the sin you're thinking of. It wasn't the sin of adultery that I'm speaking about. It wasn't the sin of murder that I'm speaking about. But whatever the sin was, he records it for us in such a way that we read through this not in an outflow of chronology, but we read, first of all, his expression of praise for what the Lord did after the event that really him, and then the appeal following the event that afflicted him so that he could go back and praise. So in other words, I'm, I'm making this sound harder than it is. What, what this is, is David did something really wrong. And he begins the psalm because now that event is over and he begins with a praise and he is grateful for what the Lord has done. Then he tells us what he did that was wrong, and then he shows us how he worked his way out of that to bring back the first verses of praise. Does that make sense? If not, read the scriptures with me, and it will. Okay? So here comes, well, let me take the first one. Why don't we just do this? Let's go right to the problem. Verse 6. Now, in my prosperity... I said, I shall never be moved. There's the sin. There's the problem. Now, he has gone through the impact of that sin, through the consequences, and he begins by saying this in the psalm. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks all the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. 
be my helper. You have turned for, for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you Something that is both a blessing and a curse is an attitude of independence. As Americans, one of the things that we often find ourselves involved in perceiving about ourselves is what we have turned over the years as a rugged individualism. You, you know how Americans have been described that way, that, that we can think for ourselves, we can do things for ourselves. The country was built with people who would, would be willing to sacrifice even their lives to go out and to be self-sufficient and to take care of themselves. And there, there is some virtue to that, and, and I guess the virtue comes up in the part of that that we would call self-confidence. And there is a big difference between what we would call self-confidence and that which was the sin of David. When David was self-sufficient, self-confidence basically addresses the idea that the Lord has given me capabilities, he has given me strengths, he has given me, as my Savior, he has given me spiritual gifts that allow me to accomplish things, and I can be confident that as I am yielded to him, I can do those things that he has called me to do. That is a positive. That is a virtue. But when we think we can do things on our own, when we think we can accomplish what God wants us to do on our own, we move from the realm of that which is positive into the realm of sin. I want you to look with me as this whole event unfolds in David's life. And, and as I said before, I don't know that I can identify the specific event that's involved here, but David makes it very clear. Verse 6, now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. One of the things that we begin to understand in the realm of self-sufficiency is that it is a terrible sin, and it often comes in the midst of God's blessing. So that when God brings blessing into our lives and he gets gifts, we, we to look at those gifts as if there's something we have achieved or we have worked for. And the Lord had warned the people of Israel before about this. Uh, if you wish, and you don't have to turn to these, but I, I want to read a couple passages of Scripture uh, to you that, that will help us understand a little bit about how the Lord had already addressed this specific issue. What he says through the psalmist in Psalm 10 is that the idea of being self-sufficient is one of the characteristics of being wicked. Go back to Psalm 10, if you will. And in Psalm 10, beginning at verse 6, we read this. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and opposition under his tongue. 
That is what he basically says to himself, the self-sufficient one. Drop back to verse 3 and you find out who he's identified as. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. You know, if you were to apply that to the culture in which we live today, you would come to this conclusion. Everybody's wicked. God's not their thoughts. When, when you left home this morning, how many people that were in your neighborhood had God in their thoughts? I think you know what I'm saying. Most of them are probably still asleep. Or they're at Dunkin' Donuts. Or they're Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Some of you went to Cracker Barrel, but God was in your thoughts. And, and people today don't really keep the Lord in, in their mind. The Lord says that is wickedness. That is wrong. And so he had given a warning to his people, knowing that the natural inclination of our hearts is to move towards self-sufficiency. Now I'd like you to turn with me back to the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to read a, a, a segment here that I trust will help us see how the Lord addressed this already with the people of Israel and warned them about it. Here's what he said. Verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses, and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land, where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Mm -hmm. Did you catch that? The greatest temptation to become self-sufficient comes our way at the time of our greatest prosperity. It is very easy to look around and to enjoy the gifts that God has given us and forget the giver. To think for a moment that it's because of my capabilities. You know, I work really hard and I, I accumulated the, the material possessions that I have around me. I work very hard to influence other people. And now look, I am doing that. I have influence. I have these material goods. 
look at what I have been able to do. And the Lord reminded the people of Israel, do you understand the one who gave you the capability to do that? Do you understand who it is that gave you the gifts? Here is David making one brief statement. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar rises up, and Daniel had given him a warning. He told him, he said, listen, don't you become proud. Don't you become arrogant. Don't you become self-sufficient. But what happened was, Nebuchadnezzar forgot all about that. He wasn't thinking about the Lord, and so he climbs to the top of his palace, and he looks over the land, and he within his own heart. Oh, look at what I've done. Look at the power of my empire. Look at the beauty. Look at the strength. Look at the wealth. I am going to enjoy all of this for the rest of my life. And the Bible says the same night Nebuchadnezzar was driven to his knees and for the next months, possibly years, he ate as a cow would eat grass. The Bible talks about his hair growing and growing and matting so that they looked like, like clumps of eagle's feathers. And his nails became like the nails of, of hawks. They would grow and they would curl around. And it wasn't until Nebuchadnezzar looked to the God of heaven and came and
going to have to recognize that any capability you have is going to come from the Lord. And that's why people are praying. That, that's why I believe you guys have started to pray already. That, that it will be the Lord working through you. And some of you will probably come back with some neat stories. And you'll talk about kids with whom you've interacted, and some of them, by the grace of God, may respond and accept Christ as Savior. Maybe you'll be able to make some impact into the lives of, of their families. Who knows what the Lord has in store? Just remember this. Salvation is of the Lord, not you. Okay? It's of the Lord. The very fact that you have been able to raise sufficient support. By the way, these kids have worked very hard. There was a great financial that was involved in this. Do you understand that it was the Lord provided? Say, I worked really hard for it. Well, who gave you the strength to work? You ever stop and think about this? All these blessings that we enjoy are because of the sovereign act of God. Why was I born in America? The sovereign act of God. Why was I born with a, don't laugh, a relatively healthy body? Because of the sovereign act of God. I, I can't claim any of this for myself. It was the Lord who provided. And it was the Lord who gave to Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom. And he take it away just like that. And it was the Lord who gave David his prosperity. And David says, Oh, in the midst of that, I ignored God's goodness. Because what I did was, I believed for a moment that this was all because of my doing. And I failed to recognize what James would later write when he said, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It is the hand of God that has blessed us. Right now, where you're seated, if there is anything good in your life, it's because the Lord has given it to you. Now, sometimes we squander those good things, don't we? We, we either take them for granted, or we believe that we can handle things. Your marriage. Depends upon the goodness of God. And if you think you can handle that yourself, you're in trouble. You need Him at the center. Raising your kids. Believe it or not, it's a privilege to raise children, isn't it? That was about the weakest. Isn't it a blessing to be able to raise children? Yeah, okay, good. Now we're on track. I see you guys, they do love you. It's hard to believe that they do. And you recognize that. Well, the Lord has given you that opportunity. What can give you the wisdom to do the right thing? It's only the Lord. David, he had to come to grips with this. And what he didn't realize was that it was the presence of the Lord that added the blessing to all the blessings. Follow what I'm saying here. Look at verse 7. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. Now that is really a continuation of what he said 
in verse 6. The things that I now realize that were mine were blessings from you. I, I thought to myself, I'm, I'm going to really take advantage of all this, but you're the one who made my mountain stand strong. But then he says in the next verse, you hid your face and I was troubled. You know, you can have all those blessings without the Lord and they would be meaningless. Look at all the people today that command great wealth, that have tremendous influence, that hold positions of power, who very obviously do not recognize the Lord in their lives. And when it's all said and done, what do they have? Do you know what David would have told us? He would have told us this. You may have no wealth. You may have no power. You may have no influence. But if you have me, you have everything. Wouldn't that be right? See, the, the biggest thing that David lamented was not losing the things that he had. It was the fact that the Lord did his face. And that's what troubles David. David takes us to another level when he says this. There are terrible consequences that go along with this. When I became self-sufficient, what happened? Well, he says, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. And then, what profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? No, I have lost everything. I've lost the blessings that you've given me. I've lost the security that came along with that. And then on top of that, there was chastisement that you brought into my life. Because I decided I was going to live on my own. And I was not going to have the Lord as my supplier. I was not going to recognize the giver, I would focus more on the gift. If you go back to the early verses, he says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. What happened? David's foes began to rise up around him because he was losing his strength. And this, this may have been during the time uh, with Absalom. But again, we're not told specifically, but here David's driven from his kingdom. He, he has all this incredible wealth and power and influence, and now here comes Absalom to try to take the kingdom over, and he says, you, you drove me away, and, and now, what do I have? I have nothing except you. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. My very life depended upon you. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. David says, All my self-sufficiency swept away And then, he gives us a pretty good insight and a pretty good clue as to the way things need to develop. 
tells us that there's only one route of escape. And he goes on to say down there in verse 8, I cried to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? What is David doing? He is taking personal responsibility for the sin that he committed. And he's confessing it. Lord, I depended on myself. I tried to do things in my own strength. I tried to work things out my own way. And when I was blessed by you, I perceived that to be the product of my own doing. Lord, I was wrong. You, you know, one of, one of the things that I think is, is perhaps misunderstood in Christian communities really centers around this idea of uh, the way we deal with sin and the way when you do something wrong if you know Christ is your Savior we will say I felt bad about my sin or we will say the Lord convicted me but the reality is that, that in the Spirit because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us when we sin and we do what's wrong we cause the Spirit of God to grieve and we sense that within us. And that's what makes us churn inside when we've done things that are wrong. And the way we often respond is by pleading with the Lord. Oh Lord, please forgive me. Please. I, I, have any of you pleaded with the Lord to forgive you of something yeah. you've done? I'm seeing heads shake. You're allowed to respond. Amen to that. But that's not right. Instead, do what he says. Agree with him that what you've done is wrong. The confession of our sin is what leads to forgiveness. It is the agreement. Lord, let me back up. Some of you are looking at me, and as I'm looking at the faces of it, it's like, is what he's saying true to the word? Yes, it is. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever heard a verse like that? Okay. You know what that says? The word confess is homologeo. Homo, meaning the same. Logos, meaning the word. You put that together. You say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. I was acting independently of you. I behaved in such a way that it appeared that I was being self-sufficient. You know what happens when you agree with God? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He doesn't ask us to plead and to beg. He says, see things the way I see them. Isn't that the way we spend most of our lives today? Trying to bring our thinking into line with God's thinking? I mean, our natural way of thinking always moves in the wrong direction. And so the Lord says that we have to have the renewing of our minds so that our thinking comes back in line with God's thinking. And when it does, he says, good. 
seeing things the way I see them. And then tomorrow I wake up and I won't see things the way see things the way God sees them, and I've got to start the process all over again. And I go back through that every day. Because with me, every day, is that old sinful nature that wants me to think the wrong direction, to think I can do it myself, to think that I am self-sufficient. When it's really him. And when we finally admit it, he forgives us. David learned that. It was only going to be God's mercy that would get him out of this hole. Look down there at verse 10, where it says this. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned away my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So now, what he's saying is, Lord, I have acknowledged my sin. I have agreed with you. And I stand here before you with nothing in my hands, recognizing that it's only your mercy that will put me back where I belong. David had to come to that place. And we have to come to that place too. You understand that it's only because of the mercy of God that whenever you and I commit a sin, our lives are not taken. You understand that? We, we, we forget that. We think all oh, I sin. is death. We always seem to limit that to the concept of our separation from God for all eternity. But we have lost sight of the fact that that speaks about moment by moment. The wages of your sin, the moment you sin, God would take your life and he would be absolutely justified. Because the wages of sin is death. But he does it because of his mercy. David understood that. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. David followed the Lord's pattern, and as a result of that, he recommitted himself to this type of a lifestyle. Lord, I am dependent on you for everything. Anything good that I have, I give you the praise, and I enjoy the benefits, and I the gifts, and I enjoy all the blessings, but I never rest in them. I look to you, because if anything good is going to happen, it's coming from your hand. Lord, you allowed me to do things for your glory. I want to thank you for that. And right away, buried within this is this realization. I can't trust crazy about, but that's okay because I really love the music as we have it. But, Lord, you are good. Your mercy endureth forever. And then we get into that. You're good, you're good, you're good. Oh, yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you are. Okay. Um, but that, that's just my age. I understand that. I, that. That's the realm in which I move. But guys, don't think I'm some old buddy that you're going to say, yes you are, yes you are, yes you are. Uh -huh. 
Have you ever gone to somebody's house for a dinner with a group of other people? Four or five families, three, four families get together for dinner. Have you ever done that? Mm-hmm. Sure you have. Okay. While you're eating, it strikes you that it would be appropriate to express to the cook how good the food tastes. Right? And you say, oh, everything is delicious. What happens next? Everybody else does it too. Everybody sits there and says, oh, yeah, this is really good. Except the little kid down at the end of the the table that doesn't like peas. It results in other people responding and saying the same thing. Lord, you are good. And David learned that. And that's why when he begins this psalm, he says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. And others are going to join in. He goes on to tell us this, that self-sufficiency must turn to a timeless dependence. When David made this discovery, tried to direct the remainder of his life living under the umbrella of an understanding of God's mercy, God's kindness, God's goodness, God's provision. And he said, you have replaced my garments of mourning with joy. You took me when I was drowning Depending on the way the Lord is dealing with us, it can lead to tremendous loss. It can lead to chastisement. It can lead to a whole variety of things. But then, we turn back to the Lord with praise and thanksgiving for what He has done, recognizing our sinfulness. And what happens? He puts His arms around us. Think of it this way. A little child falls into a swimming pool. And the child is 
thrashing, trying to keep his or her head up above the water. And, and they're fighting, and every, every minute of what's going on is taking them closer and closer to their demise. And they're fighting the best they can. And nothing seems to be coming to their aid until mom and dad come down. And they wrap their arms around this little one, and they hold them up. If there is a heaven and if there is a hell, I'm pretty sure I'll go to heaven because I, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Something we were talking about in prayer meeting is how good is good. And how does being good eliminate being sinful and bad? Because both are part of our experience. And if you're depending on self-sufficiency for your eternal well-being,